0: well, good evening. Wasn't that worship set just calming? Isn't it good? We need to do some more of that. I told her, you can clap. Come on, don't be reluctant. I uh, turned to Vanessa and the worship set said, they should be in Carnegie Hall or something, right? we are getting this amazing, amazing invitation into God's presence and have that blended with prayer. And so, but I, when, when we were worshiping, I, I did feel like that, that maybe there were some people that didn't come for prayer. And, and, and you knew in your heart that God was saying, I want you to go up for prayer. And you were like, I, I'm not, I don't want to do up for prayer. You, you're having a conversation like that with God where he's saying, do this. And you're going, I don't want to. And maybe, maybe you're here tonight and that's the first time you'd ever felt that, where God was asking you to do something and, and you just said, I, I don't want to do it. And then when the worship set came to an end, you felt like you got off easy, right? Because now the worship set was over and you had a reason to say, well, I'll do it next time. Now is next time. So this is what I want to do. So sometimes we invite people here into a place of courage. Sometimes we invite people. So it's not going to be a long moment. I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. But if, you, if, if, if what I was just saying resonated with your heart, this is your second chance. And if you've ever read the book of Jonah and you want to get swallowed by a whale later on tonight, that's up to you. That's up to you. We do live close to the water. It could happen. It could happen. I'm just not going to ask you to do anything else, but if that resonated with you, I'm just going to invite you to stand where you are right now, and I'm just going to pray for you, and then we're just going to keep going with what we're doing. So anybody here tonight would stand up. Come on. I know there's more than just a few people. I know. It feels good, doesn't it, to say, come on. I want to. Father, I just pray for every person that's standing right now, and I pray that whatever they were going to come forward for prayer about, that you're going to do that in them right now, in Jesus' name. By the power of your Holy Spirit, that they're going to have their 2 Timothy 1 6 encounter right now. That the result of grace is going to be for them. That, that we might not be putting our hand on them, but Jesus, we know that you're here and your hand rests upon them. And so we say whatever their request was, whatever reason that they needed to come forward, that they're going to hear you speaking over their life a resounding yes and amen in Jesus' name. Come on. And everybody said together, Amen. 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 Come on. Thank you. That's good. Love that courage. Come on. Love that courage. All right, so just a couple of uh, added announcements I want I wanna to do. Let me do this one first. I think there's a pie over here. Is there not a pie right here? I know, I know. And all of you are going to be bitter because it's not for you. But it is for Pastor Jamie because we were in our admin. This, this is heavy too, right? Don't eat this by yourself. It's not going to turn out well for you. We were in our admin planning meeting this week and we were talking about Vanessa's famed coconut pie, which is ridiculous. And and he said, I've never had that coconut pie before, right? Or her coconut pie before. And Vanessa said, well, I'm going to change that. So she baked a pie this weekend. But I thought instead of just giving it to him outside of the service, I thought, because this is his last Saturday night with us because Williamsburg is going from Sunday morning to Saturday night. I know, isn't that good? So when Jim and Debbie, his parents, they've been a part of the church for many years now. They were here before Jamie was. In fact, they prayed him here. That's another story for another time. But you should go read her Facebook post. But they're going to be transitioning to help the Williamsburg campus launch forward into its future. And so I thought, since we're in a praying mood tonight, that we would just have each of them stand where they are. And some of you might choose to come and gather around. I would hold on to that pie, because if you pray with your eyes closed, there might be a coconut pie rapture. You're like, where did my pie go? Where did my pie go? So we're just going to have them stand. Jim and Debbie are going to stand where they are. Jamie's going to stand where he is. And uh, if you just want to come and gather around them. Father, we thank you for bringing Pastor Jamie here from the Midwest, God. We thank you for divine appointments. And we thank you for Jim and Debbie finding City Life years ago. And just all the ministry that's happened in their home through the gifts of hospitality and counseling and teaching, Father, for Jim, just the, the revelation that you've given him of your word in the baptism classes and membership classes that he's going to be teaching in Williamsburg. God, we, 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 we thank you, God, for, the, for the, the gift of compassion that you've put into Debbie's life and how she comes alongside women who are hurting and just loves them back to a place of health, God. And I, I thank you for Jamie that he is a self-proclaimed, nonconformist deconstructionist because I need people like that in my life, God. And, and so we thank you for the gift that he is to this church. We thank you for the leadership that he and Michelle bring to the Williamsburg campus. We thank you for the team that is forming there. We thank you for the new partnership that's happening with Newtown United Methodist Church that's going to start next weekend, God. We thank you for that campus. In Jesus' name, come on and everybody said... Amen. Come on, you can clap for that. So good. So good. Hey, just a... few quick things I want to get into uh, tonight's message a little bit. The uprising, you know, is going to be happening on Friday night. So if you've got teenagers or young people that you know, uh, we've got cards that you can give to them. But we bring in a rap artist every year. This place gets filled with hundreds of, of uh, teenagers. You can feel the bass in your chest when you pull in the parking lot. It's fantastic. And uh, and then somebody brings a message. Kids make vows of devotion to Christ every year right here in these places. It's so, fantastic. And so so, but, but, but those of us that maybe are a little bit beyond our age, right, to be right down here dancing and playing, they need us to help them out there. And so if you've got kids you're bringing, don't just drop them off and leave. Stay. There's a sign up. You can see Pastor Justin, raise your hand, student ministries pastor, soon to be campus pastor for Southside. I I know. We're going to be announcing at the uprising who the new student ministry pastor is going to be here in Newport News, and so you might just choose to come just to be on the bleeding edge of information release here at the City Life Church. So we have a welcome weekend that's coming up. So I just want to mention that. We try to put throughout the church calendar what we call a welcome weekend where the message is designed to just to tell people about who we are at City Life. And so we normally do it for one weekend. I was going to be talking about vision for the next couple of weeks, but I really felt like God just moved my heart just this week in prayer to do two weekends of welcome weekend. It's not going to be the same message, but take two weeks just to talk about city life and we'll talk a little bit about vision but our vision and I'm going to save that teaching for the beginning of next year about talking to you about having a vision for your life and so I'm excited that's going to be good so anyways so we've got that coming up the next two weekends and then what we do if, if you're thinking about making city life church your home we do something called discovering city life Vanessa my wife teaches that and we do that during the sermon time and that'll be on 919 926 and 10 3 so when we get to the sermon time you'll be dismissed and then into a class room, and then we take those three weeks to really talk to you about what it means uh, to belong here. And then the last night, we do pizza, and I come in, do question and answer, and it's a great time together. All right, so two, just one more thing, and then I'm going to have Stephanie Birch is going to come and share with us just for a couple of minutes, and then uh, then I'm going to, I know I keep saying that, then I'm going to get into my message. So, all right, we I want to just, a new life group that Vanessa and I are going to be leading with Kelby and Paige. Are Kelby and Paige here? Are they in here? They might not be in here. So, Kelby and Paige... uh, they're out of town. Uh, collegiate athletes that just relocated here. He's got a degree in kinesiology. I'm not even sure what that is, but it sounds really good. So, uh, But we're doing a life group uh, once a month on Sundays at the Lionsgate Bridge at 10 a.m. It'll start the fourth Sunday in September. It'll be the fourth Sunday of the month. And uh, and they're going to talk to us about how to do exercises at home. And and you, as you know from my story, I need that because I don't do a whole lot of that. And so, so uh, it's going to be a family-friendly time for us to come out together and learn learn some things about how to be a good steward of our physical body. And so it's called Sunday Tea for teach, educate, and apply. So just want to give you a heads up. You can find that on the website. So, well, if you, this series that we've been in on the Holy Spirit, we've been talking about how the Holy Spirit will speak to you. The Holy Spirit has things that he wants to show you. And, and one of the things that happens when you feel like the Holy Spirit is revealing something to you is that you ask the question, is this for me? Uh, or is you giving this to me to share with someone else? And so Stephanie Birch, who's an important part of our church here and uh uh, their family uh, reached out to me a f- uh, several weeks ago and said, I really felt like God has, has showed me something as I was studying the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. And she said, do you think this is something that maybe I should share? And so I said, why don't you take a few minutes and share that with us, especially at the end of our series, because this is part of what we're saying. Does that make sense? That the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you in your own times of study, in your own times of prayer, and then it might be that he's going to give you something that's for the whole church. So can you give Stephanie Birch a warm City Life welcome as she comes? Are we on here? Good. There you go.
1: Pastor Fred said I had uh, five minutes. Don't be funny or clever. I don't have time. So. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, so, um, and I also can't see that up there, so I'm going to read from my iPad. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn in 1 Kings uh, to 18, 1 Kings 18, 30 through 38, and read along with me. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two measures of seed. Then he arranged the wood and cut the oxen pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. The water flowed around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench." So I want to take a few minutes just to unpack the scripture for you as God showed it to me. So we have 12 stones that are built into an altar, and according to the scripture, they represent the sons of Israel, God's chosen people. But since we have been grafted into the family of God, um, into the chosen people, it also they represent us. We also have a trench that's built around this altar. Now, I'm kind of a little bit of a word geek, so I like to do a lot of the Hebrew, uh, figuring out what these words mean. And um, so I I pulled up some of the words that I, I, a lot of times you never know whether they're gonna mean literally what it says or not. So I looked up the word trench, and um, in Hebrew that word is tehalah, which means water course, and it means trench, but it also means healing, and new skin forming over a wound. And then um, if you note the size of the trench in the scripture, it's large enough to hold two measures of seed or a double portion of seed. Now, God could have used any particular measurement there. He could have used flour. He could have used grain. But instead, he particularly chose to use the word seed there. And I don't think that's any... um, It's not by accident. And then we note that Elijah had them fill four pitchers of water and pour it over the altar three times. And again, I don't think it's any coincidence that this equates to 12 pitchers of water, one pitcher for each tribe. Um, We're also told that the water flowed around the altar and filled the trench. Now, the word... um, flowed in hebrew is halach which means to die or live or manner of life and then the word filled is malah which means to be full to consecrate or fill the hand the meaning of these words is critical to the revelation god wants to give us here so we see that elijah prays and the fire falls from heaven and consumes the burnt offering the wood the stones that represent god's people and the dust And so I pressed into the Holy Spirit about this passage, and I believe this is what God is saying to me and to all of us. It's clear from the scripture that the purpose of God doing that miracle was to turn the people's hearts back to him. And that is the context through which we need to see that symbolism of the scripture. Remember that the stones represent God's people in the center of the flowing water. God wants us to position ourselves to receive the overflowing water of the Holy Spirit. The meaning of the word flowed and the meaning of the word filled represent how we conduct our lives. And we're to live our lives positioned so that every corner of our lives is lived out of this filling. He also wants us to position ourselves to be consumed by his holy fire. How many of us have heard that news story of the Charleston church that burned down, but the only thing that was left was the steeple? I think that God wants to be the fire that sweeps through our houses and only leaves the things that are precious behind. Remember that um, the fire consumed everything, including the dust. And when you look up the word dust in the Hebrew, that's afar, which is earth, ashes, mortar, rubbish, or debris. And God said to me, how many of us are holding on to earthly things that he's calling us to release? We have debris and rubbish and earth from this life that we're carrying around that we need to let go of. And he wants us to let that holy fire burn that up. And so I was still unclear on the trench and the size of the trench and the fact that there was a double measure of seed, but the seed wasn't there, it was empty. And I actually asked him, what does that mean, Lord? And um, he responded to me so quickly that it represents the potential for harvest. Notice that the trench surrounds the altar and it's made of stones that are a representation of the chosen people of God. So when we position ourselves to receive that watering of the Holy Spirit, those around us who are surrounding us get wet too. When we live our lives in a passionate love relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we become a conduit through which the Holy Spirit meets others in our sphere of influence. And he allows that healing water to flow into their lives as well. I want you to take a moment, you know, to make this personal and imagine yourself as that living stone, the water of the spirit pouring into every area of your life, including those parts that you may not have given him up to this point. Maybe you have uh, relationships you're holding back. Maybe it's your money. Maybe it's your chosen profession. Maybe it's old wounds that you're holding on to. And then imagine his holy fire falling on you and burning away those areas in your life, like your fear, your bitterness, your unforgiveness, your earthly idols. Imagine being so full of the spirit that the water flows from you onto those around you. I think that is the life that God is calling us to have here on earth, and I think that's our Maranatha calling the takeaway from this isn't just a new revelation from an old story that we haven't heard, that we've heard many times before. It's as much about God's willingness to instruct us through his Holy Spirit. We've spent a great deal of time studying the Holy Spirit this summer, and this revelation was a reminder to me of how much he wants to instruct us and how much he wants us to position ourselves to hear what he wants to, uh, want, what he wants to tell us and what he's Uh, uncovering for us that he's hidden really in plain sight. Proverbs 25.2 says, It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search out a matter. As a law enforcement officer, when I see evidence in plain view and I have a legal reason to be there, I can take that item as part of my investigation without having to write a search warrant. The Holy Spirit's always wanting to make our investigations of God's Word and His truths easier by putting it in plain view for us. We have to be diligent, however, to do the investigation. We can't just say oh, it's in plain view and then walk away. So, thank you for allowing me to unpack what uh, the Holy Spirit shared, and I hope it uh, encourages you to begin your own investigation.
0: So good. Come on. Wasn't that rich? I know. So good. So good. I just appreciate her too, right? Just willing to make that call and say, this is what I feel like God's speaking to me. And just to create that opportunity that you all could share in that. We probably just need to have her come back for another time and give her like a whole 45 minutes, right? And just take us all the way through that text. It's so rich, so rich. So you know that tonight is, is wrapping up our series on the Holy Spirit, and it's been an amazing summer together as a church family. You can get those on our website through our podcast. For the last two weekends to kind of finish up our series, As we said, hey, let's unpack First Corinthians chapter 12 and so we started last week in that I'm not going to do a lot of review in that so if you weren't here you can go back and listen to that podcast also the notes are uh, online for your conveniences as, as well and so but I I, I wanted to spend the, the the end of our series on first Corinthians 12 because I, I feel like that so many commentaries they, they fall short for how rich this chapter is and and uh, and they, they they define it all just about this word spiritual gift and as we talked about last Last week, that word is really in the Greek, the result of grace, and I think we would do a lot better if we took that chapter and just marked through the word spiritual gift and put the result of grace, because it's the word charismata, which means, or, or charisma, which means the result of grace. And I think once we read it that way, it changes how we see this chapter and what God's trying to say to us. And so last week, I said that, hey, I think Paul's trying to say, and we'll get into the first part of 13, I think if we have time today, and if not, we'll put it on the blog and you can get it there, but there's five things that Paul is saying that if you are a devoted follower of Christ and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, these are some things that should be evident in your life and in your church. And the first one is that we should look together in those first few verses. What Paul is saying is that he brings some correction. And we read out of the verse of James that, hey, we've got to look into God's Word together and say, when you see my life in light of of God's Word, what do you see? And a person who has the Holy Spirit inside of them wants other people speaking into their lives. Then we talked to, there's a little bit of a transition verse where Paul gives an outline. And then we talked about expecting together. Love Denise Thomason's post on Facebook. Is Denise in here? So Denise is in here. So I have a a Starbucks gift card for Denise up here. She said, I'm waking up today asking the question, God, how are you going to use? me. Come on. It was so good. And so we should expect together, if the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, that He's going to use us. And so I want to just kind of introduce you to these last three. The next one is that is that we should rely together. We should rely together. So I want to read verses 12 through 17. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 17. 17, the human body has many parts, but many parts make up one whole body, so it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, and some are Gentiles, and some are slaves, and some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the, 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 yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, then that doesn't make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything like that delicious coconut pie that Jamie has right there on the on the second grove. So, hey, this word, the body of Christ, appears about 23 times in the New Testament, and Paul always uses it in one of two ways. It either means the church everywhere or the church somewhere. It either means the church everywhere or... Or the church somewhere. And what Paul is saying here to the church, this, these, these very first churches that were ever launched in the world, right? These are all branded churches, some 2,000 years ago, and, and Paul has started these churches. He's writing letters back to these churches, and he's saying, hey, there should be diversity in the church, and diversity should be celebrated. He talks about diversity of ethnicity. He talks about diversity of social standing. He talks about the diversity of, of, of ministries that God has given to you, and he gives this beautiful metaphor of the human body in the sense that we have to rely on each other because what God has given you, you're incomplete unless you're connected to other people. We understand this with our human body, right? The the human body doesn't make sense if the parts are out here individually by themselves. No, it's not a human body that's fully functioning until all the parts are connected in the way that it should. And he's saying to you and he's saying to me is that all of us have to find a church somewhere to call home because the part that you are is not made complete until you connect yourself to other people. And that other people are waiting on you because they were incomplete without you. And so we have this beautiful picture of a symbiotic relationship. That's why I think what Paul's saying is you have to rely together. You have to realize that the gift of your life cannot be fully complete until it's connected relationally into a covenant relationship, which he calls the body of Christ, which we understand to mean the church. No church should ever make someone feel unwelcome because they don't fit in. can't happen. It's not a part of who we are. At city life now, it might be that in your search for churches, you might say, "Well, I don't necessarily agree the same things doctrinally as that church." That's okay. Then you need to find one that you do, or you might not. uh, You might find a church they have a different leadership philosophy or different church government. That's okay, right? We can disagree on those things. That's why there's so many great churches in a city. You've got to find the one that you're supposed to be called and connected into. There is, there are some agreement that has to take place. But once those kinds of agreements are formed, there should still be tremendous diversity in that church. There should be tremendous diversity as far as life experiences and and age, and again, and ethnicity and passions and callings and ministries and how God has shaped you in the ministry that he has for you. We want the City Life Church to be an incredibly diverse place, an incredibly diverse place because it's a reflection, I believe, of heaven here on earth. All right, let me jump down to verse 18. And, and read a few of those verses, 18, 18, where are you, all right, but our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it, how strange a body would be if it only had one part, and this is, I like this, that God has a place where he wants to put you, does that make sense, he's saying God has a church that he wants you to call home, How strange of a body if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and the least important are actually the most necessary. Isn't that beautiful? And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. And he goes on to talk about dignity and and valuing one another. And he talks about when one suffers, we all suffer together. This is Paul giving to us this principle of mutual dependency. We believe in mutual dependency here at City Life. This idea that you and I need one another, I cannot do it by myself. I cannot do it by myself. He's also talking about what I would call a culture of honor. We want that to be here at City Life, that everybody is celebrated, everybody is honored. Even if the ministry and the work that you do is behind the scenes and is unseen, you should not feel as though that you're any less important than someone whose ministry is more public, that we want a culture of honor here in our ministries. We talk to our leaders about this, that we want to honor the people that are saying, God, I know has called me to be here, and I want to put my ministry to work in this church, everybody should feel like they're the most important person, even though we all are. That's part of what the idea of the Trinity is, as we talked about that last week. They are equal in essence, but subordinate in relationship. All of us should feel as though the church would fail tomorrow if my ministry wasn't happening, if the culture of honor is being done in the way that it should. This word for ministry that Paul uses here is the word D-I-A-K-O-N-I-A. diakonia, And it's the Greek word that gives us the word deacon or minister. This requires training and effort. See, he's contrasting the word charismata, the result of grace, that he connects to the word phanerosis, manifestation that we talked about last week, to now this idea of ministry, right? In his transition, remember Paul said there are spiritual gifts. He connects that to the Holy Spirit. Then he talks about ministry. He connects that to Jesus, the body of Christ. Then as we're going to get to in just a minute, he uses the word activity. He connects that to God. And so right here, he's using this word ministry. Ministry requires effort. It requires training. Listen to Definition It's a serviceable labor so far as its labor benefits others. A ministry in the Christian community benefiting an individual or the whole. This word gives us again the word deacon or ministry. Let me share this thought with you. Before a person can be a leader in a church, they first need to be relationally connected with the church and use their life to serve others. That God says to you and He says to me. I made you different than anybody else. That you're special, you're unique. There's things that I want to put inside of you, insights that I want to give to you, passions that I want you to have. And then he says, You've got to go out and find the church that I've called you to. That's why I like how Paul is intentional here, saying God has a place for you. And so you might be new here tonight, you might have just moved here to Newport News, and you're beginning your journey of searching for a church. And our promise to you is, We don't want you to necessarily join this church. If this is in the church, that God's called you to, but we want to help you find the one that you're supposed to be a part of. So you might leave here tonight and say, I don't know, I'm not sure this is the place that I want to be. You should still call. You should still fill out the next step cards and tell us what you're looking for. We'll give you a list of churches to find because God has a place where you're supposed to connect. There's a body in this city that is incomplete because you're not a part of it. There's a body in this city that is missing an appendage because you're not connected to it yet. And our heart is to connect you whether it's here or somewhere because there is a ministry that God has called you to that you're supposed to share. It's contrasting with the idea of phanerosis, which is manifestation of the result of grace, which are those supernatural listings that we talked about last week. The word shifts because those things, as we said last week, there's no training in that you just have to be available. And I told that story of where I experienced the supernatural early on in my Christianity. There was no training. You just have to be available. This is different. If you have a calling to be a musician, it takes work. If you're called to be a vocalist, it takes work. The people that work in the media booth with sound and projection, you have to practice. You have to put your time in. You, if you're called to be a teacher, like, I don't know, but I think maybe Stephanie Birch has a teaching calling on her life, or maybe we should call her Officer Birch, right? That's what you might have to call her if you find her in your window, all right? Because you were driving too fast in Suffolk. If if you've got a ministry that God's given to you that's teaching or any other thing that you want to list, you, you fill in the blank yourself. God says, now you've got to be responsible to develop that gift, to mature that gift. Steve Ruggiero is an amazing leader because he has given his life to the study of leadership. You with me? You you are responsible to develop and build this gift. God might call you to it, but if it's this word and this idea, then you've got to do your part to make it the best that it can be so you're serving the body that God connects you to at your full potential. We've got to rely together. All right, let's jump to the next one. Now, this is the part where I think so many commentaries, they miss it. And I'm not saying that they're wrong, so I'm just sharing mine with you tonight, and you can decide for yourself whether or not you think mine is better. All right, let me me jump in with, with verse 28. Here are some of the parts that God has appointed for the church. Now, this word first is important. And I think the word first and the word then is supposed to be the key to the understanding, not the list that follows. And I think that's where commentaries get sideways, and then we get confused. First are apostles, and second prophets, and third are teachers, and then those who do miracles, and those who have the gift of healing, and those who can help others, and those who have the gift of leadership, and those who speak in unknown languages. And he says, are all apostles, are all prophets, and are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles. Verse 30 says, do we all have the gift of healing? I think Paul here, as he's getting ready to launch into his fifth and final command for the evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the church, he says, hey, we've got to be willing to to work together. And part of working together is that there has to be structure in the church. There have to be people who have a leadership calling on their life who are allowed to function in a leadership capacity. And the reason I think that this is well I feel like my perspective, can we call it that? on this text, is the, is the best one, is because of the word activities. This word activities that appears in verse 6, it's the only time that it's ever used in all of Scripture. It's not used any other time. The Holy Spirit gives Paul this word. Charisma or charismata has been the one that is popularized, but this word, energema, is E-N-E-R-G-E-M-A. It has the same suffix as charismata. It means the result of energy. So you're tracking with me? Paul is contrasting these two things. There's a result of grace that happens in our lives that's supernatural, and he connects that to the word phanerosis again, which is manifestation. But then he connects this word, the result of energy. He connects this to God in his transition there earlier in the chapter, because Paul is saying, if, if what I'm talking to you about is happening, it's going to be an active place. It's going to be an active place if people are saying, let's look together and let's expect together and supernatural things are happening. And I'm looking forward to maybe some of the stories that are going to come out of people who came forward for prayer tonight and how God did unexplainable things. And he's saying, if you're going to be a church that relies together and people are allowing their lives to be connected and ministry is happening, he's saying that that's a a pretty active place. There's a lot of energy going on there. And so he's coming down the home stretch here and he's saying, hey, unless there is some order or structure, what was supposed to be energy is going to become chaotic. Now, why do we know that? Because if you study First and Second Corinthians and you read all of them together, you know that's exactly what's happened in this church. This church has lost its focus. This church has lost its direction. It's become a free-for-all. And so what Paul is saying here is he's coming down the whole stretch. He uses this word first and second and then the word then because he's saying there has to be some directive leaders in the church that are steering this ship in the right direction. And then he says, hey, there's going to be other people. They might have different ministries that they've called to. And then he blends in the mix of these supernatural things that are happening. I think he mixes that in on purpose because he's saying, you got a lot of stuff happening in your church, which is great. But if there aren't some people that are directing this thing, it's going to get sideways. And what was supposed to impact the world is going to get derailed and end up in a ditch. Paul's saying, hey, there's got to be a leadership structure in the church. People that were gifted to leadership and called to lead and are able to make decisions and for insight, we believe about that here at the City Life Church. That's why we have teams of people that are in ministries, and that's why we go to our third campus, we've been talking about the creation of what we're calling a regional team, and we get into great details about that in our Discovering City Life. All of those teams have what we call permission-giving relationships with each other. I can't, I can't just do what I want here, and at the point I were, then this church is in trouble. When I feel like God's speaking to me, I go to the people that are on that team that I serve with, and I get their permission to cast vision and to make decisions. I remember when, when we were, had a transition with our director of operations, and, and Jamie said, hey, I think that you should just let me do that. I'll come on. He was part-time then, and he said, I'll come on full-time, and I'll just do both together. And I said, no, nah, I don't think that's going to be a good idea. And I don't, I don't, I'm not, that doesn't, why? Because it didn't fit my paradigm, right? Because I'm, I got structure and plans and strategies and job, but this is who I am, right? And so James says, all right, I just want you to pray about it. And so, so I talked to the governance team about it, and then I get a call from Nate Nawatn, who's one of our elders. He said, Fred, you're making a mistake. Making a mistake, right? I don't know about you, but I want a team that works this way together. Are you with me? I don't want a council of advisors who I just run things by. I want a permission-given relationship that when I'm wrong people are going to say, "I'm wrong," and if I don't have their permission to move forward, then I can't do anything until I have their permission to do it. That's healthy. So Nate said, "You're making a mistake here." I said, "All right, I trust you people, right? I trust you." And you know what? They were right. It was a mistake, and he's been functioning as our director of operations for more for more than a year. It's been more than a year, and it's been amazing what's coming out of his life and the ministry that he's brought, and he's going to continue to do that until we're in a place where he can be full time, full time just in Williamsburg. And so it's it's just I'm sharing you that story because this is the living out of First Corinthians 12 in our church today, two thousand years later. There have to be people that are making decisions, but then those people that are making decisions, there's got to be a trust because, see, as the church has to rely on each other as a whole, leadership teams have to rely on each other in smaller settings. And I know that God has all those people that serve on those teams with me that, 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 that my gift of leading is incomplete without them. I need them connected to my life, and they need me connected to their life. And that's the picture of a healthy church working together, a place of activity and energy, but where there is a leadership structure that just gives this thing the skeleton that it needs. So then Paul shifts. You hear me say this a lot. When these letters were originally written, there were no chapters and verses. And sometimes the chapters and verses serve for us some order to help us understand, but sometimes I think they cloud some of what we're supposed to gather. See, so when Paul wrote this letter, he didn't stop at at the end of chapter 12, verse 31, like it says in my Bible, and then start a new page in chapter 13, verse 1, which people set that apart as the love chapter. This is a continuation of what he's just been talking about. In, in fact, listen to, what, listen to what he says. If I could speak in all languages on earth and of angels and didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything to have that I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could I could boast of about it but if i didn't love others i would gain nothing love is patient and love is kind and love is not jealous or boastful or, or proud nor, nor is it rude it does not demand its own way it's not irritable it keeps no record of being wronged it does not rejoice it does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices Whenever the truth wins out, love never gives up, it never loses faith. It always is hopeful and endures through every circumstance, prophecy and and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge, right? He's pointing back to this idea of these moments of manifestation, but but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only in part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, that's not until we breathe our last and end up in the heaven that is to come, these partial things will become less. Now here it comes. Listen to verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Paul is saying, hey, if the Holy Spirit is in you and in your church, you're going to be a church that looks together. You're going to be a church that expects together. You're going to be a church that relies together. And you're going to be a church that works together. But if you do all of that, and don't become a church that grows together, you've missed your purpose in life. You can do a lot of great things for God. You can become famous. You you can write the book that is the next bestseller, but God says, in the end, and if God's calling you to do those things, come on, praise the Lord for it. But in the end, what he says is, who have you become? Because when I get to heaven, I want to hear God say to me and I want to hear him say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. And that's going to have a lot to do more with who you have become and a lot less with what you have done. It's who are the person that you now are and how much do we look like Jesus? That's why this chapter 12 and this first part of 13, it should be one chapter together because it's the great climax of Paul's teaching. He's saying, grow together. If you don't do anything else, get this one right. He's saying, when you make a vow of devotion to Christ, you're like a spiritual child. And same way as when you're a natural child, you have an expectation to grow and change and mature. He's saying, do that same thing in your own life. Don't stay stuck where you are. If you've been following Jesus for 10 years and you look just like you did 10 years ago, I'm saying something's not right. There's atrophy and that needs to change. Whether it's here or somewhere else, find a church that's going to say, let's grow together. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up and we're going to close this series with a song together. We have 24 virtues that we teach here at City Life. It's part of our discipleship model of the 1, the 6, the 12, and the 24. We talk about that at length also in our Discovering City Life. But let, I just want you to hear these 24 virtues that we believe is the portrait of who Christ is that we're all striving to attain. Believing, gentle, merciful, kind, selfless, patient, humble, hopeful, self-controlled, truthful, honorable, and hospitable, authentic, content, loving, wise, peaceful, faithful, principled, meek, fervent, joyful, persevering, and forgiving. That's who God wants us to become because that's who our Savior is. And in this church, in this church, we're we're, going to miss it sometimes together as a church family because none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. But can we just commit together that that when it's all said and done and we get to the end, let's let be the times where we've missed it. Let's let that be the exception. And let's be a people that comes together and says, where I have failed, let forgiveness and grace and humility reign. And let us agree together that we wanna grow in the person that we are more and more throughout our lives to become indistinguishable than who Christ is. We're going to grow together. We're going to work together, rely together, expect together, and look together because we want this church that is filled with the Holy Spirit because you are to be a living testimony to this chapter and this text would become alive through us. Stand with me as we worship.
2: Holy Spirit pray Yes. Um. He breaks, come and overtakes. You're the one we need. Holy Spirit, lead us. Holy Spirit, to the heart, to the heart of Jesus. There is nothing. we nothing. Tonight say I decree you increase As you increase all about this It's all about it's not about I decree I decree As you increase It's all about me. it's all about It's not about me It's all about me. it's all about me Spirit, break us. Come and overtake us. You're the one we live for. Holy Spirit, Until I ever I, I wonder- want to
0: says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Father, we need that power. We're desperate for that power. We can't do it on our own and by our own strength and in our own effort. If, if the only thing that we have is human strength and human effort and human ability, then we're always going to fall short. Father of would you have dreamed for our lives. Let that power stir and rise up and fill us and rain down upon us and be all around us that we want your power to look together. We want your power to expect together, to rely together, to work together, and to grow together. And may it be that at the end of our days that we can look forward to hearing you say to us, well done, my good faithful servant in Jesus' name come on and everybody said together amen we'll see you next week